This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers, and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. Today's guest is Ivan Suarez. Before Ivan became a successful barbershop owner, published author, and motivational speaker, he grew up on the wrong streets and on the wrong side of the law. Chico Boom, which is how he's known to his friends, was incarcerated in the U.S. for six years for armed trafficking. He got out with a new vision on life, and vowed to never go back to that life again. This is a story of incredible bravery with one single message. Never stop fighting. Please welcome Mr. Ivan Suarez. I am so excited to introduce you to actually a friend of John Cullen's, and this is how I came to meet Mr. Ivan Suarez. That's his birth name, but we also know him as Chico Boom, Dr. Boom. What am I missing here, Ivan? Welcome to Breaking Brave. <laughs> Thank you, Marilyn. I think, I think you got him. I think you got him. They got the point. It was a name given to me when I was a, when I was a youngster, and there's a, there's a cool little story about that, but um, it's, it's, it, it was, it was a name that was, uh, that represented bad and, and I, I wanted to be remembered for good. You know, in, in the state of Florida, you have a lot of Southerners and, you know, black people call Spanish people Chicos. It's not a, a, a racial thing. It's just the way they refer to us. So, and, uh, so I was moving around the streets a lot and they used to be like, damn, Chico, you booming, you booming, Chico, you booming because of, you know. Uh, what I was producing in the streets, which is bad, but that's where the name came from. So when I got out of prison, I wanted that name to be remembered for greatness because people were already calling me that anyways. When I got out, they were like, hey, Chico Boone, you out, you're out, you're out. Trust and believe that if I had a choice in picking that name, I would not have came out with Chico Boom. I would have came out with a way uh, smoother, sexier name. You know what I mean? Romeo Suave, you know, something. <laughs> but the names are given to you, right? And and and, yep. and it's been something that has been, you know, part of me and stuck to me. But it's remembered for greatness now, not for anything negative. And my friend that, my dear friend, that um, gave me that name. I'm still friends with him to this day. He's, a, he's an older gentleman, um, and we're we're great friends to to this day. And he's been a blessing in my life. You know, we use the boom for so many things now. Now it's it's a name that that I adopted, but now it's an actual company. We have Worldwide Boom, and people ask me what is Worldwide Boom. Well, I started putting it into existence that I wanted to be global, and and, and I became that. But 
you know, the Big Bang Theory, what came after that Big Bang? It was it was change, right? That big boom. That's that big boom theory. What comes after that big explosion? After that great explosion, uh, you, you make room for new habitation, right? Uh, new new life begins after that. And that's what that's what that boom is in my life. It's changed and I've changed. Phenomenal. Well, you touched on a bunch of stuff when we just jumped in. Ivan, you are a fascinating man. I'd like to say you've seen it all. And what you've done with seeing it all is so incredible. So maybe we could go back for the listeners, because first of all, we have a fabulous global audience. So people are going to hear you all around the world, which is exciting. Hey, world. Hey, world. Hey, global audience. <laughs> um, you are a Puerto Rican man who came to Fort Myers, Florida when you were five. Am I right with that? Yes. Okay. Can we start there, just in terms of your highlights of... You know, you talk about growing up in a single family, although your dad was around, he wasn't around living in the home with you. So let's uh, let's get to you arriving in Florida. We'll chat about that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, my father and my mother were, were, were never together as long as I can remember. Uh, my father was a hardworking man. So I want that. I want to make that clear for the audience listening. It wasn't that he was a deadbeat dad. Okay, it was nothing like that. He was a hardworking father who at that time wasn't making a lot of money, so he was working a lot of hours. He was absent in my life because of not being married to my mother any longer. Uh, you know, the, the you know the court sent me to his house on the weekend sort of deal. But even then, he was working a lot to, pro to provide. He had to pay child support. He had to put a roof over his head and his, his new family. So I don't hold that against him. He was just an absent father. doesn't mean that he was a deadbeat father. But Having not having that father there uh, the way I needed it, you know, it caused me to have um, issues later on down the road because I started looking at other men in my life for, for guidance or was looking up to as, as role models or whatever. They weren't necessarily the best guys or the best role models to look up to. So at an early age, it actually started when I was a teenager. I was I went to jail for the first time at 14 uh, for issue at home that I was having. And I was just, you know, a, a rebellious teenager. And, and I, I just wanted to make a point that I was the the the, the guy in charge, that I was, you know, bigger than than, than my age. And, and that wasn't the case. I was just an immature young, young boy that was going down the wrong path uh, because of the people around me that I chose to, to be around. So, um, you know, my mom wasn't having it. She was a Christian woman and, and, and she wasn't having it. She called the police on me and we, you know, we had some situations there and uh, I ended up running away afterwards and, and was living out of a, a, a trash bag at the end of six, at 16. You know, I remember uh, heating up a, a can of Chef Boyardee over a candlelight, you know, because there was no electricity in that home. Uh, but all... All great things, though, looking back, uh, Marilyn, because those things made me stronger and made me tougher. I think that people find circumstances that they go through and use them as excuses as to why they're at where they're at today. And I think that a father plays a father role. A father has to protect, has to provide, and has to guide that child down a a, a good path. You know, and it's their it's their job to teach the, the, the child that. That's why back in the day, the, the father used to teach the, the boys how to hunt and, and provide for their family. The mother is more of the nurturer. She's the one that takes care of the child and nourishes them. There's there's nothing like a woman's love, like a mother's love. There's nothing like a, a you know, the the a, a mother's bosom. That's why the, the, the mom breastfeeds and that's why the mom is, is the oven and that 
child bakes in that oven for nine months, right? And 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 they come out, but that child has that connection to the mother because that emotional connection because he heard her heartbeat, she heard his heartbeat. There's nothing like a a, a mother's touch, and she makes everything feel better. But a father, the father, you know, those life lessons and those life skills primarily come from 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 the dad. You know, traditionally, times have changed, and, and as as we see, but. That's the way I was raised, so I don't want to discredit him either and say he was a deadbeat father. That's my point in all this. Got it. Now, you have a brother that's five years older than you, Ivan, as well as a sister, and and so there's three of you all together? Correct. Good brother, and good, and I had a great sister, and we have a, a great relationship now, even though we, we bump heads like normal siblings, and we don't see things eye to eye, but my sister was, was phenomenal growing up, and, and when I remember when she worked her first job, her first paycheck, she brought me my first pair of name brand shoes. It's, it, it, it was good, you know, and, and my brother always protected us, and he was the bigger guy, he was the brute. You know, they gave him all the, all the, all the looks, a full beard, 6'2", 220 pounds. He looks like a football player. And then I guess me, I guess I was, uh, I came out 5'10", 170 pounds, and, and I can't grow a full beard. They gave him all the good stuff. Okay, so last scene... Living out of a trash bag, yeah. heating up your chef Boyardee with a candle. I just want to put this into context from going from and then where you are now. So you were arrested for armed trafficking in Dade County. About what age were you when that happened? I was uh, 23 years old when this okay. happened. This was back in 2006, 2007. Um, and yes, I was I was going down there to purchase a uh, kilo of cocaine, and um, you know they, when they when the police moved in on on us, you know they found money, they found guns, and they found um, you know the the cocaine in the other car. And the transaction was never made. There was loopholes in that case because of that of the way they they, they bombarded us or whatever. Um, you know so. Yeah, that was that was a pretty scary moment. You know, I was in Miami, away from Fort Myers, away from my home, away from my uh, family, and and um, you know, just the way they did it, it was just something out of a movie. You know, with those big guns and pointing it at your head, they yanked me out the car, threw me on the ground, put this. You know, I remember that boot going right on the back of my neck and on the side of my face, and then welcome to Dade County. You know, and they had that that you know, I don't know, they were AR or whatever assault rifles that they had. Air M16s or whatever it was, but I know I was, I was, that was a wild moment for me. I can't even imagine. Cause I mean, I guess this drug trafficking business that you had gotten yourself into had been going on for a while before this all went bad in Miami. Yes, 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 yes. I was, I was like really deep in the streets and, and this is, I was, you know, a few years of just getting deeper and deeper and, that fast life taking control of me and me, the infatuation I had with, with, with fast money back then, uh, mm-hmm. fast cars and fast women. Those are, those are the three things that I was in, in, infatuated with. And it's a, uh, I speak about it now, you know, because, um, to encourage others, you know, and, and it's, it, but looking back, it was like, wow, I was, that, that, that's kind of scary. I wouldn't want one of my kids living like that today, but, um, it was a very dark space that I was in. I was always looking over my shoulder. I was always, you know, getting into some type of something with someone that was living in that lifestyle as well. You know, you got to think about it. You, you have to look over your shoulder for the cops and you got to look over your shoulder for 
the people that want your spot or want what you have or acquired, you know, throughout uh, your time out here. So there's always someone that you have to look out for. You got to look out for the, the, the jack boys that like to stick up the, 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 the drug dealers and you got to look for the killers and you got to look. So it's not an easy life to live. And uh, it's very dark. I remember that. And when that happened, I wasn't really scared at that time. It was a scared feeling. It was a terrifying feeling, but I wasn't really terrified. Like meaning that I wasn't like, oh my gosh, what's what, what's going on? It was more surreal a feeling, if anything. And like, wow, this is happening. This is like fresh out of a movie. But I've always been the type to, you know, chest out, chin up. You take it, take it as as it comes. It, what the scary part didn't come till later, when I'm in jail and I'm stripped from everything. That's the scary part when you, you know, I don't like being in closed spaces as it is. So being in that closed space, my friend wasn't with me no more. And that was like my big bro. You know, that's the one I, you know, I had his back. He had mine. So they strip us from each other. They strip me from everything. They strip me from all my rights. You you don't know when you're going to talk to somebody. That's when the scary feeling comes. It's the what if, you know, and the, and the not knowing. So that's when, when things started to change mentally for me. So... Ivan, we'll go back to those loophole situation for a second, and I don't want to spend this whole time chatting about your time in prison because it's more important to talk about what you're doing now. Right. But for what you were arrested for then, you could have been facing 15 to life. Correct. But you ended up doing six, like three in and three out, because you had a fabulous lawyer and there were obviously some loopholes in the case. Right. So your your buddy was also charged, obviously. Correct. But you weren't together. No, we weren't in the same uh, uh, prison. They sent him to a different prison. So it was actually a little less than than, than three. It was actually 18 uh, months that I ended up doing in total from the time that they they ten, they, but they sentenced me to six years. But my lawyer uh, fought for a split sentence, meaning that after a certain amount of time that I was to be let out and be under uh, community control. So it was kind of like being in jail, but outside. So you have to check in every week. And it was really, really strict. It was, it was a little bit more different than just regular probation where you got to, you know, you just go in once a month, you pay your, your fine or you just keep it moving. Like, But, um, yes, uh, the lawyer found some good loopholes. But I remember being in, in jail and all they kept saying was this is a 15 to life charge. This is a capital offense. This is a capital offense. So the, that's when... Again, that contributed to my mindset changing at that point. That's when that scary feeling comes in of like, oh, crap. Like, this is going to be my life for the next 15 years? You know, because I'm thinking in my head, yeah, for sure. They got me. This is it. 15 years. This is what I'm going to get. I'm going to be here. So I started getting comfortable. I started getting comfortable and saying, well, this is it. Let me start. You know, I remember... Uh, the first week I started, you know, working out and doing and doing my my my, my push ups and my dips and and and, and uh, you know trying to learn and you know the ways because because you're going in there I never had did no real time I, everything else was like little stints in and out of jail so I, I had to learn like you don't do certain things in there there's there's unwritten rules and and things that you don't do and so I, I read a lot I just kept to myself stayed out of people's way. And didn't look for any trouble. And I was a barber in there. So barbering, you know, saved me. So I was there cutting hair and people were giving me commissary for hair cuts. And, and they wanted to look fresh for their visitation with their sweethearts. And so barbering really contributed to my survival in prison. You know, nobody messes with the 
the barber, nobody messes with the kitchen man, nobody messes with the laundry man. You got they, you want fresh blues to 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 have on when you go see your loved one on Saturday. You want a fresh haircut and and you always want good food. So those are the three people that nobody really messes with. <laughs> you know, so it was I learned that. So you start altering the way you think and and operate and what have you. But um it, you know, it was good. It was in there that I developed that mindset that said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I'm looking around and I say, I don't belong here. These are people. Yeah. There's the walking dead in there. They're, you're as good as dead. You're just sitting there rotting away because there's no there's nothing. There's no hope for you you're just sitting there and, and day in, day out. You're doing the same old thing. And it's like, OK, what now? What next? So I started drowning myself in books and started picking up books and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and in and, and, and a dictionary. I remember I had a dictionary and I was trying to learn new words that, that I didn't use and, you know, just trying to educate myself as much as I could. I remember taking a life skills class when I was in prison and it was just a, a, a moment there that I said, I'm going to make something useful out of this time. It's not going to do me. I'm going to do the time. The time's not going to do me and I'm going to come out different. My body's going to look different. I'm going to be bigger. I'm going to be uh, smarter. I'm going to be sharper. I'm better than this. I know that God has a different purpose for me. And the main book that I read while I was in there was the Bible. And I read it in and out, start to finish. I would start it, finish it, and then go do it again. So I've read the Bible multiple times, multiple times, start to finish. And then when I was done with the Bible, I would pick up the, the 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 Torah because I want to know about the Jewish religion and then I picked up the Quran because I wanted their perspective as well. I'm Christian by the way, but I wanted to 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 know how they thought and I wanted to respect their views. And I used to talk to a Jewish guy while I was in there and he would you know we would we would share thoughts and I talked to the Muslim guy while I was in there and we shared thoughts and we all praised the same God, just different views and on 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 that that particular time in history and whatever and but they have different views and beliefs but they were praying to the same God and and it was very interesting. And, you know, I just got a sense of more culture while I was in there, too. You know, I got out of Fort Myers and I started meeting people from different backgrounds. And so that that changed the way I thought a whole lot, a whole lot. Uh, you know, Marilyn, and, and, and I'm thankful for that time that I was in there because I needed that. Because if God wouldn't have put me on a timeout, I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And I needed that timeout. I have an amazing where did. I mean, I think about people going into prison, and what I think is that they they embrace this just sit there and rot, or sit there and wait until it's time to get out. For you, where did this strength, this, the time's not going to do me, I'm going to do the time, I'm going to read, I'm going to educate myself, I'm going to work out, my body's going to get strong. Where did that come from? Well, that come from from not giving up. I didn't want to give up. I felt like if if I didn't do that, that I wasn't going to be in a good space. I felt like I would I would have lost everything. You know, as something is, it, I've never been the type of person that that if something doesn't go good for me, that I just give up. It's like okay, it didn't go good this way. Can, let's recreate it and try to do it a different way. So I always had that mentality. So when you're in jail, you have some of the most talented people in jail. Just because they're in jail, it doesn't mean that, you know, there were a bunch of dumb criminals. You got some smart guys in there. You had tax accountants. You had white collar crimes. You had, you know, other other type of crimes. But you had some great talent. You had great singers. You had great rappers. You had great. And I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, this guy can really sing like this guy is better than Luther Vandross. 
Like he's just singing and, and he's doing 25 years off something that to me wasn't worth 25 years of doing. So these are people that are over sentenced and the law system, you know, and, you know, not being just. And I've seen guys that were doing 40 years on a, on a weed charge from back in 1977. And it was just ridiculous. Some of the charges that, that, that I saw and I just didn't want to fall into that. So that kind of motivated me when I saw these guys and I said, I don't want to be wasted talent. I know God has a purpose for me. I just don't know what it is yet, but I, I, I will know. But I see all of these people in here that have these talents, these these different abilities. And, they, you know, they've been sitting here just just riding away. And I don't want that. So me being there just made me realize that that's not what I wanted for me. I didn't want to just people to forget about me and 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 and, you know, just get lost in the in the shuffle. And I wanted to be something. And, and I think that motivated me because I wanted to be something so bad. You know, I just like I want to be something. I want to be something. I want to be remembered for greatness. And, I, and I'll be damned if I'm going to sit here and let these people take that away from me. I know I don't deserve 15 to life. I know I, I know what where my intentions are. I know where my heart is. And I know that I, I have more love than I do anything else in my heart. And I have a love for life. I have a love for my family. And I'm going to show everybody around me how great I can be. And that, that, that was, that was sort of like my, my, my mindset. My mindset was my motivation, you know? Phenomenal. That was brave. It was super brave. We're going to come back to brave in, in, in a few minutes. So 18 months, let's call it. Now you're out. You have a record forever. Yep. Okay. So what do you do? You step out into the light and, and, and you're a, a free man, except for this record. Right. What what happens now? What do you do with all this? I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to be something. I'm going to do good with my life. What do you do with that? Well, remember, Mel, I, I told you earlier I had a love for for money, you know, and I lo- and, and I still have that that drive uh for money. It's not so much the love for money because you know, the scripture says for the love of money is 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 the root of all evil for the love of money, meaning that you love money more than you love yourself, more than you love your God, more than you love your kids, and that's not the case. I'm money driven, so I like to have it, so I'm able to 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 give back, so I can give my tithes, so I can take care of my children, so I can provide a better life. But I don't love it more than I love any of those things that's important to me, you know. So I, I went back to getting fast money, and the way I knew how was was through cutting hair. I knew that every day that I would get back, I would get cash money in my pocket. So I started cutting hair again. And I remember the first day that I got out, I, I made 300 bucks. The first day I got out, went back to work the next day, I made $300. And I was like, wow. And now remind you, $300 is not a lot. But when you don't have a pot to piss in and you don't have nothing, you know, that's 300. I was like, wow, I just made 300 the, the, the very next day that I got out from prison. I was dead broke. I had ran through all my money. I had $0 in my bank account, zero. You know, and you're talking about, Somebody that had hundreds of thousands going through their hands at that time. So what I did, Marilyn, is I put $200 away and I kept the other hundred, you know, and, and, and then I lived off that hundred for the week. And I just kept putting $200 away every week after paying my bills and stuff, not knowing why I kept putting 200. But I figured I was paying him 200, him being the owner of the barbershop, which I'm grateful for. And, 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 and I'm really, really fond of this man because he really gave me an opportunity. He let me get my job back at the same shop that I was at. I remember calling him when I was in prison and saying, hey, I'll be home in three months. Make sure you got my chair. He said, I got you. And uh, he did. And I remember making my 300 bucks. 
And I said, well, if I'm paying him $200 for a booth rental, I said, if I'm going to pay him $200, I'm going to pay myself $200. I, I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, the, the, the math of that. I just said, I'm going to put $200 away. I'm going to match that. So come to find out, after two and a half years, I had twenty about 25K put up. And that was all I had to my name. And and I said, well, if I'm going to invest in anybody, it's going to be myself. And I put those $25,000 behind me and I opened up my first barbershop. And that was uh, 13 years ago. So so I've been there 13 years at the same location. So that was two two years after getting out is when when I decided to do that. Six months after I decided to do that is when I actually opened because I didn't know about you know, code enforcement and laws. So it took me six months to open it. The second shop that I opened two years after that took me about uh, two weeks to open. So (laughs) you learn as you go, right? And you still have these now, Ivan. You still have these two shops. What are they called? Uh, Boom's Barbershop. So Boom's Barbershop, you can look it up, anybody that, that that's listening, and, and you can see. And I have, a good, I have good reviews. I have bad reviews, too. You know, but 4.6 re- star review over 500, uh, you know, people reviewing, I think that's a good number. So the second shop I ended up selling to one of my barbers after six, six years of being open. He took a, uh, he had an emotional attachment to it because he was actually one of my clients that went to school to become a barber. And fresh out of school, I made this kid my manager at my second shop. And he didn't have no barber sh- shop experience, nor did he have any management skill experience. But he was a great kid, and I believed in him. And I said, there's something in you. I don't know what it is, but you're a great kid. And he's he's went from a kid to a man. He has a family now, and he still owns that very same barbershop. And it's called Mikey's Barbershop now. He changed the name. But after six years of, of having that, that's when uh, I sold it to, to him. Congratulations. Thank you. Let me just take a left turn for a second, and then I want to talk about all the cool things you're doing now, books that you've written, as well as your speaking, as well as a bunch of really cool stuff that you're into. I don't know anything about prison, but what I see, what I read, what I learn is that it's just horrible on the human spirit. Yes. And that they aren't doing all the wonderful things that they should be doing to try to release people with the attitude that you came away with. It's a place where people go to rot and they aren't treated like, well, they're not treated like human beings. I mean, how the hell, honestly, do you come out of something like that so incredibly reformed like you did when really the system's against you in that situation, at least the way I understand it's set up? It's not really set up for positive reform. No, you're 100% correct. It's, we call it the belly of the beast. That's, that, you know, you, you're in a cage. They treat you like an animal. They don't care if you're cold. They don't care if you're hot. They don't care... You know, the, the, most of the prisons here in the state of Florida, Department of Corrections, don't have any ACs. You know how hot it is in Florida? It's a swamp. They don't have ACs. So you're in this little cell and it, it doesn't have any windows. So you're in this hot cell. You might have this small little little window, small little opening, if anything. But it's, 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 it's a hot box. And then I feel bad for the guys that go in jail, in jail, meaning that they go to confinement. You know, they messed up. You know, you imagine that you're you're sitting there and, and you're eating your food, right? And some guy that has a problem with you just comes and picks a fight with you. He attacks you, and now you have to defend yourself, but they put both of you in, in confinement. They put both of you in that box. 
Well, what about the guy who wasn't buying his business? Why should he have to sit in his hot box for 30 days? So that it just has the, the system is so is so messed up. You know, when you're sick, they don't give you you have the flu in there and they don't they don't care. There's, there's nobody, you know, you, you got to get a pass and go to the nurse. She gives you a couple of some vitamins or whatever. Dental people with dental problems they have to see the dentist that doesn't do good dentistry in there. These institutions suck. They, they just outright suck. And it's modern day slavery. Some of the work that they got these guys doing. And if you don't do the work, you get in trouble. How did you come through it? How did you make lemonade out of the lemons? How did did Ivan Suarez rise above this cesspool, which most people just fall into and accept? Because they accept it, Marilyn. That's okay. why. They are mer- they're accepting that fate. And I'm not going to accept that fate. I'm going to always try to, to... If I'm drowning, I'm not just going to be like, hey, I'm drowning and that's it. No, I'm going to fight my way up to the top and I'm going to try to get above land. I'm trying to get some fresh air. And some of these guys... So I don't... So it's, it's both ways. Yes, the system is messed up. Yes, the system is corrupt. Yes, there's abuse going on in the system. Yes, there's cases where people are getting raped and, 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 and beat up. And, and some of the police officers are doing these rapes and, 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 and beating people up. Okay? So yes, it is. But at the same time, you have people that continue to do the same foolishness over and over and over and over again. And you're looking for a quick buck or, or, or you're looking for a quick scheme or scam. And you continue to put yourself in these places. You as an individual have to say enough is enough. You as an individual say, I will not be a statistic. I will not be another number. I will not get lost in this system. I am more than than, than what this system says I am. You It has to piss you off to the point where it motivates you. And you have to recycle that energy and you say, I am not going to be here. And this is I am more than that. I am a human being. God loves me the same way that he loves the president of the United States. And I am no different than, than anybody on this planet, no matter how wealthy or, or how low they are in, in their life. I am equal to all. And when you start realizing that, you'll start saying, hey, I want more out of life. You know, you, you, you have to start living. You can't just say, oh, I'll, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I'll die about my kids or I'll die about my family or I'll, 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 I'll die for these streets. You got to start living for those kids. You have to start living for your family. And if you live, you can do more. You can't do nothing good being dead. Nothing. So it has to it has to make you mad. It has to make you angry to the point where you recycle that anger and you just put it out there. With greatness, I I don't have an understanding of how people that get out of prison continue to go back as much as they do. Now, there are cases where the system puts them in a in in a hole where they're forced to go back to doing things that they that they don't want to do. But at the same time, I always feel like if there's a will, there's a way. So 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 you have to you have to find that. Yeah, you may not want to get that seven dollars an hour, or eight dollars an hour at that particular time in your life, but you have to do what you got to do. Yeah, you may not want to live in that shelter for, you know, that particular time, but you have to do what you have to do. Listen, I used to get up in the morning at three o'clock in the morning and go to the labor pool and stand in line and wouldn't get a job until seven o'clock in the morning when they opened. But but I knew that first come, first serve just to get a good job. And they wouldn't pay me nothing back then but $50 for the day. Ten of that was going into gas. And I would keep the other 40 $50 a day for an 8 to 12-hour day. And you're just going in there as a helper. It's a temp service. You just show up with your work boots and your tools and you say, hey, I know how to do this. I know how to do that. And you pray for a good job. But I didn't have any skill set at that time. So they were sending me to go do landscaping jobs and, and cleaning construction sites. 
hard work, you know, being out there in that sun for 12 hours. You know, people were passing out. But I did it. I did it because I was hungry and I and, and I was determined and I wasn't. And, and you have to say, hey, I'm not I'm going to do everything possible except living like that, because I don't want to live like that anymore. And when you when you come to that to that point, you're either going to go back to that lifestyle or you're going to find a way. But I was so infuriated with 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 the system. I was so infuriated with myself. I was I was mad. I was angry that 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 I got caught up like that, that I lost everything. And it just drove me to become better. You have to something has to trigger you. So you have to come to a boiling point as a human being that switch. You just flip it and say, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight with everything that I have. I, I, I stuck to my ramen noodle and tuna fish diet for two years. I ate nothing but ramen noodles and tuna fish after I got out for two years. So how bad do you really want it? How bad do you want to succeed? How bad do you want to live? How bad do you want better in your life? You know, everything is not, oh, I'm fresh out. Let me go. It's filet mignons and, 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 and champagne now. I didn't celebrate. There was no celebration party when I came home. You know, people people have a messed up perspective and they surround themselves with these people that are going nowhere either. You imagine getting out of prison and you're going back to the same group of people that you're around. Your family members ain't no better, you know, and they want to do these parties and, and you want to go out and hang out. But what are you really celebrating? I'm not where I need to be in life. I just got out. I'm dead broke. Don't throw me a party. I don't deserve a party. I messed up. I need to be able to, to get back on my feet so I can give you guys a party for being there for me all this time. There's so many people in the world that need to hear what you're saying, Ivan. And and so talk to us now about you're going back into the prison system and you're talking to people just like you're talking to me. You're also talking to young kids and you talk about them as minors. So they're kids, they're kids to me, they're kids to you about this experience, this reality of you have a choice You've got an opportunity to do this, to make good in the world, to leave a good, lasting legacy, to change things. When did you start getting into that? When did the speaking, helping part of this come along? Well, man, that's a really good question. As a barber, you are given a gift from God. You know, this is a God-given gift. This is not just something I'm just going to stand behind here and cut hair. And I know some of the listeners are like, what the heck is he talking about? The God-given gift. Think about it. We have to be therapists. We're not educated to be therapists, but we have to be therapists. We have to talk to people. When you, you, you imagine working a 10-hour day and you have a happy person that sits in your chair. And then that happy person leaves and you're happy. And then a depressed person comes and sits in your chair. And they, they start opening up to you. You got to give them advice. And now you feel a little depressed because they are depressed. Man, I feel sorry for that guy. And then an angry person comes in and you're trying to calm them down. And now you're frustrated with that person because they were angry. And then another happy person comes and now you got to pretend to be happy again. It is a roller coaster of emotions sitting there behind that chair 10 hours a day dealing with all of these different personalities. But you have to be the best that you could be at it. And I got real pleasure out of giving people good advice. I got real pleasure out of it. I was just like, man, I, I made them feel good when they would come back and say, hey, I went and took my GED, like you said, man. Thanks, boom. You know, that made me feel good when I brought marriages back together that didn't have to go to court. When uh, I, I, a father was able to see his child and use my barbershop as the neutral ground for the mom to drop it off. That fulfillment that I got was wow. So I decided when I was opening up my second shop, that was at a fork in my life. 
And I said, I want more than just cutting hair. This is more. There's more. So that's when that light bulb started going off and said, man, I want to show people how to cut hair. I want to educate. So it really started with wanting to show people how to cut hair because I figured, you know, this is a great industry to be in. You know, if if I feel this good and, I, and I'm over here making money, I want to help other people make money and I want to pe- make people help people to make other people look good. So it started doing that, but I was always motivating in my classes. So education turned into motivation. I said, well, you know, I love teaching people how to cut hair, but I want them to have more substance. So I started giving them a different taste of, of, of knowledge and things that I've experienced and my perspective on, on life and, and, and journeys and life experiences and whatnot, whatnot. So that's when I said, you know, I want to be motivational. I want to be inspirational. I want to, I don't want to just be educational. Anybody could do a good haircut, you know, and if you can't do a good haircut, a good conversation will go a lot deeper. And, and that barber is more likely to hold on to that client just based off of good customer service through conversation and building relationships. What I, I had learned where, were were helping me grow was the people I kept around me. I kept a new group of people. So those were some of the stuff that I put in that book. And I decided, you know what, I want to, I want to travel. So I started, uh, I met this gentleman that was doing some, some traveling and some barber shows and his name was Curtis Smith. And he gave me a a spot on one of his shows. And he said, you could come and, and teach a class real quick. You know, you got 30 minutes, do what you got to do. <laughs> you know, so I went up there and I taught a class. And that that turned into other opportunities being created from there. I started meeting different people at different shows. I started traveling with him and just attaching myself to that tour. That tour opened up a a whole lot of doors because I started connecting with people within the hair industry. And that's when I started really taking off on on the motivation. And then people started calling me and saying, hey, can you come speak over here? Okay, can you come speak over there? So then I said, you know what, I'm going to publish a book. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to publish a book because I want to, you know, I'm doing all these great speeches, but I, I'm not leaving anything behind, a physical something to, to give these people. So I wrote a book and I talked about all these things, the importance of image and time and discipline and structure, longevity, customer service and relationships. Just like going in on the book, on my thoughts, and it's, it's a real simple book, but it's something that has changed the lives of many, 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 many barbers, professionals and future professionals. And on the book, it's called Success from Behind a Chair. And, it's, and it says keys to a better financial future. And, I, and it's not a book on finances, though. But my mind was these are the keys to be successful behind a chair. And if you acquire these keys and if you apply these keys onto your life, you will have a better financial future. You will have more discipline, you, you, the way you look. People will open more doors for you. You'll be on time. You know, it's just things that are just great uh, uh, life skills, a good skill set to have in any profession, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're a, a runway model. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. These are great keys to have. But if you applied these keys, you will have a better financial future because they work for me. And I made so much money and I've given out so much money and I've, and I've helped people and, and it goes deeper than, than money, but it was because of these skill sets that I developed and these, these group of keys that, that I put together, but I already had them in my, in my mind and in my heart, but I just wanted more, man. I wanted to be more than just a barber and I wanted to help people. And I still have a great passion for helping people. So yes, we've gone back to the prisons. We've gone back to the institutions working with the Fort Myers GVI gang violence intervention. You know, we've done so much 
on these streets and we've done so much within these communities and we want to continue to, 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 to build. And I want to show youngsters, okay, and, and, and even older gentlemen that might be older than me that no matter what you go through in life, it's not what you go through, it's, it's how you bounce back that determines who you are. And I always say that. So, so, so don't let your circumstances get the best of you. You make the best out of your circumstances. So, so, so you go out there and fight. And I tell people this all the time. I get great thrill on, on helping people and telling these youngsters, listen, if there's nothing else, you want to be a rapper, you want to be a football player, but when the NFL doesn't call you and those producers don't want to sign you, then what? Let's think realistic for a second. This is a great career. It's a $260 billion a year industry. When I had to go in front of the board and tell them that I was a four-time convicted felon and tell them my story so they can allow me to take my state board's test, and they said, yes, we grant that, that's when I fell in love with this industry because I said they, these people did not pass judgment on me. And it was a group of older white ladies that were up there, Marilyn, okay? They, they looked past me being Puerto Rican. They looked past my, my background, so these people didn't stereotype me. They weren't racist. They said, they said this man deserves a chance. And I, deserve, I told them what I wanted to do with my life and, and, and how barbering saved my life. And they allowed me to go take my state boards. And I took it and I passed. And I fell in love with this industry because I said they didn't pass judgment. They weren't some corporate company that said, oh, no, you have a criminal background. We're not going to let you in. No, they said, go for it and be great at it. And that's what I did. And that's why I love this industry. It opens up a whole lot of doors. It's a platform that, that, that's, that's phenomenal. But you have to make the best out of it. Curtis Smith. Great guy. He's the barber, am I right? He's the barber for Usher and P. Diddy? Yeah, yes, yes. So he he was actually around before anybody else, before social media. And he was on, you remember Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with, with, with oh, Robin yeah. Leach. He was on there. He was on that show with, with them, like, you know, as, as P. Diddy's barber. But he's been a mentor, not just to me, but to a lot of barbers within the industry. And people like to call him the godfather of, of barbering. Because he helped a lot nice. of successful uh, barbers right now. There's there's some really successful barbers. I'm talking about guys that are that are, that are millionaires right now, and because they started with him and he gave them a platform, you know. And they're, they they have products and they have shows and they they're doing phenomenal things. No more cutting hair, but again, there was that platform. It was that it was that doorway. And he helped them by giving them a platform in the doorway. And they just did something with it. They took it and they ran with it. So he's a great guy. He's, he conti- I continue to have conversations with him on a weekly basis. He, do- he does amazing things within the hair industry. He doesn't get the credit that he deserves. But this guy is amazing. Last year, we honored him with a Dr. Ivan Suarez Lifetime Achievement Award at a gala that I did in town. So he, he was very honored by that. So but he has a lot of, lot of awards, a lot of accolades. He does amazing things. Amazing. I was working yesterday with one of his companies, Revolt TV. Nice. With P. Diddy. It's not Usher, but P. Diddy. Yeah. And it's it's about, I've been with working with them for maybe five or six or seven years. Awesome. And it's interesting how this is interwoven because we were working on some creative ideas for a client and the hip hop culture that Revolt TV are so involved in and barbering are just hitched and how one begets the other. And so I found it really interesting when I was researching you, I'm like, oh my God, okay, you know Curtis Smith and that's P. Diddy's barber and this is P. Diddy's company. Amazing. Yeah. 
we'll talk in bravery now for a second, Ivan, because I love, I, I just can't wait to hear what your answer is to this question. What does bravery mean to you? Mm. Give it to me from your gut. Brave to me is never giving up, you know, just, just fighting for what you believe is right, fighting for what you believe is yours. That's bravery to me. When you're brave, you're saying, hey, no matter what it is, I'm going to face these challenges head on. I don't care. Nothing's going to break me. I'm unbreakable. I'm unstoppable. I'm determined. I'm focused. Some of the stuff that me and, and John Cullen talk about, you know, it's just that bravery to say whatever it is, I'm going to face it. I'm going to get up in the morning. I know that when I get up, life is going to throw all type of curveballs at me. I know this getting up in the morning. It doesn't matter. I know there's going to be someone who, who, who cuts me off in traffic and flicks me off. I'm going to, I know that there's going to be people at my, at my shop that show up late when they should have been on time. I know there's going to be a whole stream of challenges, but I'm brave enough to know this ahead of time, and I'm brave enough to face these challenges. It might be a sickness. It might be a death. It might be whatever. It might happen to me. I might, I might get terminally ill all of a sudden. But just knowing that whatever it is that life is going to throw at me, I'm going to fight. And that's being brave right there. To me, I have a daughter that has Marfan syndrome. Okay. I'm going to stop you there. I don't, I don't know what that is, Ivan. So can you explain for the listeners what that is, that syndrome? Absolutely. Marfan syndrome is a syndrome that attacks the heart, right? It's, a, it's a, your stem in your heart that, that inflames and, and it, it can rupture at any given time. So she has to take medication. There's a lot of side effects of, 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 of morphine syndrome, but John Ritter from three's company, one of the most famous people that had uh, morphine syndrome. And he actually died of that. He had his heart ruptured and, and whatnot. So, so it's, it's a thing, you know, it's, it's a scary thing. And her side effects are that she's almost deaf. So she has to wear hearing aids and we don't know what's the next step going to be. She's 11 years old. And she wears uh, these really thick glasses cause she, so she could see. Um, so that that's also a side effect. She's almost blind. Now, she wears these good she have contacts now, so that's good. But she has really long limbs. She's really tall for her age, and she's going to continue to grow. She'll probably be taller than me. Or look, it's looking like it because she's almost my height. But this is the bravest little girl in the world to me because she gets up every day, and she knows she has this condition, and she knows that she can't have certain juices and she knows she can't do no physical activity. She can never play baseball a day in her life. She can't play volleyball. She can't play basketball. She can barely do any physical activity. She can't participate in the things that normal kids participate in. But she is so happy all the time. This little girl brings me so much joy. She's the sweetest, most caring, you know, heart of gold little girl that you can that you can ever 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 meet and there's nobody sweeter and braver than my Mimi. You know, my Mimi is a, a is 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 a beautiful soul, and I don't talk about her much on my social media. I don't put my kids out there. I like to keep that kind of private. But my daughter is is the definition of brave because she knows that every day she has to face the challenge, and she does it with a smile on her face and a pure heart. She doesn't make fun of people or pass judgment on people. You know, it's just a beautiful soul in an innocent heart that I wish more people had that in life. And I think that people would treat people a whole lot better if they operated at her frequency. Bless her heart. I didn't know you had a daughter and I didn't know you had a daughter who was suffering with this. So my love to her and prayers to her. And yeah, 
I get that definition of bravery. Thank you. There's so many different forms, though, Marilyn. Isn't there, though? Isn't there so many different forms? Like, you, you asked me my perspective, but there's so many different forms. Look at John Collin. Look at what he's going through. You know, that, that that's a brave individual right there. You know, and, 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 and it's just amazing the different people that go through different challenges, but each one of them are brave because you don't know what they're going through. You know, the, the, my, my mother was brave, single mother, three kids. My, my father, you know, was doing the best he could through child support and everything, but that wasn't enough back then. And I remember, you know, not having enough. I remember standing in line in, 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 for, for, to get government assistance, to get those food stamps. Back then it wasn't an EBT card. It, was, it, was, it looked like Monopoly money. And I remember mm. her us standing in line in the cold with, with her with a blanket on us, you know, because the line was was on the outside of of that office, and just to get government assistance, just to get a block of cheese and and, and some food stamps. I remember she was brave. My mother wasn't didn't go to selling her body. She didn't go to you know living in the streets. She worked. She worked. She worked. She got up every single day. And she worked for her three kids. I remember living in government housing. But she worked and she did what she had to do. And she, you know, she got herself out of that, though. She didn't stay there. We didn't live our whole lives in, in, in those conditions. But for a lot of it, we did. But I remember thinking in my head, my mom is my superhero. You know, she was so just, brave yeah. and took us to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. Did it faithfully. She got remarried later on and things started to change. But whatever life gave just head on and, and, and shout out to all the moms out there that are brave and, and go through life challenges. I know being a mother is difficult, but I think moms are brave. And I, I, I just by that description, Ivan, I can totally understand where it came from now. <laughs> what I was saying, where did you get that, that, that drive to survive, to rise above, to get out of prison, to do great things with your life? And I'm like, okay, it was mom. Definitely. It sounds like she's set the bar pretty high on you just keep fighting that's it and 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 i love my mother to, to this day and she's such a great person but brave brave yeah you're right i get my bravery from her and, and she did set that bar and I'm, i wouldn't be the man i am today if it wasn't for my mother ivan how can people connect with you how can people support you how can they buy your book success from behind the chair this is your this is your shout out for any of your Instagram stuff, your book, your books uh, that you're thinking about writing in the future. So I got to believe the world is sitting on the edge of their chair wondering how they're going to stay in touch with you. So how do they do that? Well, guys, you can connect with me on, on Instagram at Booms World, B-O-O-M-Z World, and it gives you a little insight of the stuff that I do on a, on a professional level. Uh, on Facebook, it's Ivan Suarez and and in parentheses, Chico Boom. And on YouTube, we have the, the Boom Box. The, we have some of those old episodes on there. And they're, they're old because, of the you know, they're a couple years old, but they're still very motivational. We will crank that up. We don't know what we're going to do with that just quite yet, but we have plans on doing something with that. We stopped uh, because of, of pandemic for a while, and we, we had to refocus on some things. But we have some great inspirational uh, stories. We have John Cullen there as well, which I think, Marilyn, that your interview with him, uh, you highlighted him a whole lot better than I did. Uh, so great job. No, I'm, I'm serious. I, you, you did. And, 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 and you. you know, shout out to you for that. But um, what else? What else? We, we Success from behind the chair, keys to a better financial future, whatever walk of life that you're in or whatever profession that you, you are involved in. 
pick up that copy of that book. That's going to help you in, in your life and your career. And you can go to Big Cartel. Uh, it's a it's a e-commerce site that features the book, and you can click order, and we'll ship it to you. And we're also working on a book titled right now, Success or excuse me, Procrastination is Worse Than Incarceration. And that's a book that I'm working on right now. Procrastination is worse than incarceration. And the, the opposite of procrastination is discipline. Discipline tells you now, today, let's go, let's do it. Procrastination says tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. But no matter how much you procrastinate, that's just more time that you're doing in a mental prison because you didn't do what you were supposed to do, what you were destined to do. And we want to capture that in a book and we want to help people stop procrastinating because everyone does it. I still do it. Marilyn, you probably got a couple things on the oh, list God, that yeah. you procrastinated, but we want to break people out of that mentality. We're not saying, hey, uh, you're going to be perfect and no, you shouldn't procrastinate. You shouldn't, but we're going to minimize that. And and, and we're going to give you some great keys on, on how to help you uh, stop procrastinating in life, get more organized and get more motivated with that book. So look out for that as well. Uh, we're doing a lot of a lot of moving around this year, uh, Maryland, a lot of traveling. So, you know, I might be in, in South America one day. I might be in, in, in Europe and I might be in the United States. I'm a little bit all over. If anybody wants to contact me, if you want to get me to come to your institution, your, your, your university, your school, come back and talk to little kids, big kids, young adults, whatever. Maybe you have a, a youth group. I love working with, with troubled youth as well. As well as college students, but I like to. I love the the troubled youth. I like to help to get them on back track. Uh, you can email me at worldwideboom at g worldwideboom one at gmail worldwideboom the number one at gmail and we will get back to you. And I love it. I love helping people. I love talking to people, and I love motivating and inspiring people. Man, that's what we do. So, if anybody's listening out there needs some type of guidance with a good group, you let me know. Your phone's going to be ringing off the hook, Ivan. (laughs) I hope. This has been an absolute delight to get to know you, to hear your wisdom, your bravery, your stories. And thank you so much for being with us today, Ivan. I really appreciate your time and who you are. Pleasure was mine, Marilyn. Thank you for having me. Thank you to all the listeners who tuned in. And remember, as I said earlier, It's not what you go through in life, it's how you bounce back that determines who you are. And there's nothing better to invest in other than yourself in this life. If you believe it, then you can achieve it. Invest in yourself and invest in your dreams. Les Brown has a quote, and I love it. And he says, reach for the moon, and even if you miss, you land amongst the stars. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.